We talking rom-com, we talking action, we talking drama and movie classics. Whatever you want, yo, we have it. Cause we talking movies on a podcast. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Hey honey, I just wanna so talk I about the movie like casually. Critic. You don't have to so bring up very cinematography. Honestly, let's just talk about like how the characters were fun. Married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a Welcome to So I Married a Film Critic, a discussion between a professional film critic and lecturer and me, his wife of 20 years, who just likes to watch movies for fun. I'm your co-host, Julia. And this is Barry. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say. Oh. I thought you were going to say something creepy. Something, well, I, I think we have a lot of territory to cover to get to that point. I'm, I wasn't going to just like jump to it. Oh. But yeah, uh, I'm a film critic. This is my wife, Julia. And tonight, we're here to take you down the lost highway. How's that? That was good. That, that was what you expected, right? I kind of was. I should have come in hot, shouldn't I? Yeah, no. I wasn't sure what you were going to do. But yes, uh, we decided to watch The Lost Highway by David Lynch. And this film is from 1997. And I got to say, the opening of this movie starts with... Um, David Bowie. Yeah. Yeah, the late great David Bowie. I'm deranged and I'm like, yes. Cruelty, cruelty, cruelty. I love it. I'm like, that sums it up for me. <laughs> this movie is deranged. Yeah, I, I love this soundtrack. I'll say really quickly, this because to, to say something obvious, you did not see this in the theater. Of course you didn't. I did. Um, when I was, let's see. I was a freshman in college and my dear friend and roommate, Jeremy Thorne, he had his heavy metal CD selection and he was away in class one day and I'm going through his CDs. I'm like, oh, he's got the soundtrack to the new David Lynch movie, which hadn't come out yet. So I'm, I, I'm spinning the disc and I'm loving it. And Jeremy walks in on me listening to his one of his CDs, you know, which is, you know, it's, it's bro code. You don't do it. You just don't do that. He catches me. And he's like, oh, wow. Are you listen to, to my CD? I'm like, yeah, man, I didn't know you were a David Lynch fan. He's like, not. I'm, I'm, I'm not at all. I'm a Trent Reznor fan. So we used to listen to this soundtrack a lot. Um, it's a very eclectic soundtrack. It's not just Rammstein and Marilyn Manson. There's some good stuff in the soundtrack. And we uh, weeks later, we went to see the film together uh, when it played, I believe, in um, uh, uh, oh gosh, um, what's the town where um, Columbine, Columbine High School? Oh, um, Littleton. Thank you, Littleton, Colorado. They have a movie theater there, and we went. And the sound and the picture were huge and overwhelming, and the movie just slammed us. And we really liked it, though we were very disturbed by it. And until I watched it with you, I don't think I'd seen this film in about 25 years. Oh. Yeah. Well, and this was my first time, mm -hmm. and I'm never watching it again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so, so surprised. I know. So let's get into it because yeah. I, I'm going to try to not go beat for beat, but I will say. How many times are you going to say weird tonight? Oh. We should we should count a those. A lot. Yeah. And creepy and yeah. Um, but there, everything, I feel like every scene, every moment, every piece of dialogue like means something. Mm. Or does it? 
Well, that's the thing. Because the people who don't like this movie would say the exact opposites. It's much ado about nothing. There's nothing there. It's just David Lynch just messing around. It's, a lot of people complained when this movie came out that it was just Lynch like not having anything to say. In fact, people who hate this movie says it's a movie about nothing. Nothing happens. I think those people are wrong. What exactly everything means, I don't know. But I will say, listeners, if you're a fan of Lynch, and if you listened in to be like, maybe these, maybe these two knuckleheads will have an idea of what actually goes on in this movie. I don't have a lot of answers. I think I have more questions than like we, most we have people. Theories, theories, and ideas. But let me also say that I think, un, I think not knowing is okay. Uh, I'm, I'm somebody who whenever I teach 2001 A Space Odyssey in my film history classes, I would just say, look, just embrace the mystery. There is a literal um, – there's a literal interpretation as to what goes on in the last 15 minutes of that movie. And I can tell you what it is and what Arthur C. Clarke wrote and what, what Kubrick told us. And it's not interesting. It's better that we have the personal – experience our personal interpretations as to what it means because this is poetry you may not like this kind of poetry but this is cinematic poetry and sometimes the psychological deeply rooted responses that the film is 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 inspiring us to have is really better than knowing exactly what goes on so i would encourage anybody who loves lynch or if this is like your first time watch the film see what it does to you don't worry about what everything it means exactly although you and i will try to peel back as many layers as we can, although it's, you know, I, I don't even know that Lynch doesn't like people to over, overly interpret his films. And frankly, I don't like to either. Well, all right. We're still going to peel back the onion. So let's go. We Interesting open... you say onion. You didn't say orange. You didn't say like a, night, a banana. No, you're like, it's an onion. Because that has more layers. Mm. Layers and layers. Are oh, you being on. complimentary? Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't calling it like stinky. Okay, I'm like, oh, you really don't like this movie. You compared it to an onion. It's not a compliment. That's a very common phrase, by the it's way. It's a very, very good vegetable. Okay. We open with Bill Pullman in his house, smoking, looking a little paranoid, I will say. We find out he is married to Patricia Arquette, who plays Renee. Yep. And she's like, I'm not going to your club tonight. Uh, Bill Pullman plays Fred. He's a saxophone player. Yeah. And I gotta say, uh, I don't love his saxophone playing. I feel like it's not good. We should be very clear about this. This isn't like, this isn't the kind of saxophone music we listen to on the radio or we applaud whenever we hear like the solo in an 80s tune. This is the kind of saxophone music that even Tom Waits would be holding his ears going, oh! make it stop <laughs> this is this is highly experimental you could even say um maybe it's intentionally awful maybe it has i mean you know if, if it felt awful if fred this character is a bundle of nerves and maybe it's just coming out in his music and this scene also had major strobe light effects i i couldn't i had a really hard time i wonder if david lynch is trying to hurt the viewers that basically thumb their nose up at fire walk with me his prior movie I wonder if he's like i'm just gonna get him he's like i'm gonna i'm just gonna give everyone seizures how about that <laughs> gonna send you home early <laughs> okay so fred calls his wife from the club she's not around he gets home she's sleeping he's just like staring at her kind of like a creep and then the first thing in the film which she said very quickly was that he uh he asked like what are you gonna do and she's like read he's like read read almost like he's mocking her like ha you can't read yeah like what would you be reading but the way it, we, you and i've already spoken about this but the way these actors are talking that was one thing i know a lot of critics jumped on when this movie came out it's like they're 
they're not even good in this movie. The acting in this movie isn't very good. No, the, these are great actors. They're giving very deliberate line readings in which the words that they're saying are in contrast to the way they're saying the words. So it's almost like they're possessed or it's almost like they're going through the motions. We're not exactly sure what's up. But I mean, you get you get a sense like okay, like this could be a cute scene, and instead these two actors are playing the lines very differently. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting choice. Right. So the next morning, there is a package on their walkway, and it's a videotape. I will say, Renee wears a lot of silk. She wears a black silk robe and high heels around her house. There's a lot of black in a lot of silk. Yeah, a lot of black, a lot of silk, a lot of silky blackness. Um. I wonder what she does. I wonder, as, as I was telling you, we've had a lot of conversations about this film already. I wonder if she is an actress who didn't quite make it. I wonder if she grew up in Hollywood. So she's just like, you know, my father's a director. My, my uncle's a, a, a producer. So she just kind of grew up with money. And she's supporting this experimental saxophone player. Mm. I... I think she's kind of like a high-end call girl, but we'll get into it. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So they put in this videotape that was left on their porch. and Mysteriously it, with no... Yeah. Yeah. It's not like... It's not UPS. Right. Just a manila envelope. It's just a few seconds of the outside of their house. And they're kind of like... And the response is, oh, it's a real estate agent that <laughs> might want to buy our place. Yeah. Which is like very Hollywood. Oh my God. Okay. Look at... Somebody wants to buy our house. Oh, wow. They just like took like three seconds of a video. Okay, very cool. I like it. It's very chic, very different. Very I experimental, like it. just like yeah. the movie we're in. <laughs> it's that meta. Yeah. Then we have the the infamous red curtains that Lynch just like loves to throw in his movies oh, everywhere. No. It, you know, this movie is dealing with double lives, alternate dimensions. I do think in a way it's Lynch tipping his hat saying like, if you like the red room in Twin Peaks, then there might be some things to consider here. I do think it might be Lynch saying, like, you know, I'm not done with this idea yet of of, uh, of doppelgangers. Mm-hmm. We have Fred thinking about his wife leaving the club with someone else. <gasps> oh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Infidelity. I'm not sure. Um, then we have a really weird sex scene with the two of them. Uh, there's... It's not every day you get to say a really weird sex scene. Well... It's just... I'm going to listen to this episode later. I'm going to count all the times you say weird. Yeah. Like, seriously. Okay, you should. I think it's going to be like 26. Keep a tally. That's my prediction. But um, it's like up close of their faces. There's some slow-mo. She looks very disengaged. Despite the nudity and the graphicness... I don't know if graphicness is a word. Despite the graphic nature of this scene, there's nothing sexy about it. Yeah. You I know? mean, they just kind of look like, all right, we're married. We're doing it. They okay. look like they're very unhappy to be yes. there. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Later, Fred tells her about a dream he had. And in the dream, Renee is inside of the house calling his name. And he couldn't find her. She was lying in bed. Um, It looked like her, but it wasn't her. Hmm. But then he wakes up. And I'm like, well, is he waking up from the dream he was telling her about? Little unclear. And then she has a creepy man face. And then then turns back into herself. And we later find out who the creepy man is, but we're okay. getting there. We'll get the next day. There's another envelope on the porch. Videotape man is, yeah. <laughs> that real estate agent's persistent. 
<laughs> I know. We were like, did Netflix get their idea for their mail <laughs> From this movie? DVDs? Yeah. You know, imagine if it was a real movie and not an evil videotape yeah. like The Ring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this could really be something. Here's a business idea. Um, so the videotape is of the outside of their house, kind of like before, but then it goes inside of their house. It's a and, special edition, director's and, cut, more footage. And shows them sleeping in bed. And they are so freaked out, they called the police. These two detectives come. They're very nonchalant. They're kind of like... <laughs> so you, is everybody at this yeah, point. Yeah, they're like, do you have an alarm system? Like, maybe you should use it. And... Um, they kind of check things out. They still they'll watch the house and do their best. It's what we do. It's literally a line. They're like, thank you. Like, it's what we do. Like, oh, okay. Great job, detectives. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts about this particular? I wonder if David Lynch has ever dealt with police in his life. Because <laughs> it does seem like, I don't know if the cops would ever say this under any circumstance. But it's a, Hollywood cops, maybe? Maybe. Because I think the one thing that would be missing is, you know, if it's a Hollywood cop before they leave, like, hey, um, I have a script. Uh, if, if you know anybody who wants to read this <laughs> oh my and uh, my resume is attached to the back and here's my business card and my headshot. Okay. Uh, well, we'll look into this crime for you. I mean, at one point, one of them is on their roof, like looking down through a skylight yeah. and Fred's just like staring up at him. And it's like they're both just like staring at each other. Well, they're like dusting for prints. Like it, it's, yeah, they don't seem like they really know what they're doing. No, they're just kind of walking around and they're like, yeah, you know, maybe you should start just using that alarm system you have. All right. Have a great day. Yeah. Okay, the next scene is the pool party scene. Oh, man. This is and it, folks. This is... this is the scene the movie is known for. Yeah, it's a great scene. Um, yeah, Bill Pullman's Fred is just walking around. His wife uh, meets up with a friend who I think, I believe is Andy at this point, played by Michael Massey. So, Bill Pullman's walking around. He immediately sees these freaky-deaky dude who clearly is the face that he saw on his wife the other night in bed. Oh, my goodness. So... White-faced, hair part in the center, all dressed in black, no eyebrows, played by Robert Blake, of all people. Walks over to Bill Pullman. We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. Where was it you think we met? At your house, don't you remember? No, no, I don't. Are you sure? Of course. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. What do you mean you're where right now? At your house. Call me. Dial your number. Go ahead. Do that. 
ask me. How'd you get inside my house? You invited me. It is not my custom to go where I'm not wanted. Who are you? Hmm. <laughs> Give me back my phone. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, this is not the first time we've ever seen something like this. I want to point this out. Uh, this is one of those little bits of trivia I carry with me, and it's completely useless until right now. In 1985, there was a revival of The Twilight Zone. The pilot episode uh, was called Shatterday. It was written by Harlan Ellison. The episode was directed by Wes Craven. It starred Bruce Willis. And the first thing he had ever done before prior to Moonlighting, Bruce Willis, in the very first scene, he's at a bar. He calls his house. And he thinks he got a wrong number, but he picks up his own phone and he's talking to himself because he's at his house right now. He's talking to his other self. So that's the first time I've ever seen this. So I want to point out that, you know, 12 years earlier, Harlan Ellison, the brilliant sci-fi writer and Wes Craven, they depicted a scene like this. This scene in Lost Highway is scarier because for one thing, it's it's one thing to, you know, call your house and have Bruce, another Bruce Willis answer the phone. Um, you don't want Robert Blake's crazy man, creepy man. Um, mm -mm. anywhere near your life. No. And he's already, you know, he's already established that he's been inside Fred's home. Um, yeah, this... and Fred is like, well, I have these videotapes, so maybe <laughs> this guy's legit. Yeah, uh, this scene is terrifying, and I love the use of close-up to evoke the tension of the scene. Um, yeah, this is a masterful scene. I think this is one of the best sequences David Lynch has ever directed. In fact, I think it's the most powerful scene in the movie. I really do. And there's a, there's a lot to choose from, but, but for me, this is it. When I think of the movie, I think of this scene. Well, I wrote, creepy guy is like the devil. <laughs> so that's how I felt about it. Okay. I think. Do you think he is the devil? I think he could be. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that's one possibility. But as we should jump ahead and mention, he appears as Fred, as established, is jealous of his wife. Apparently, there's disconnect. It's not only sexually, but even before the intimacy between them, there's something up with this marriage. And it's not only because of the way the actors are playing it, but it, the, the physical distance between them is constant. He's constantly calling her from another room. They're constantly physically apart from each other. And seemingly, you know, he's probably simmering annoyed that his wife has run off at this party and he doesn't know anybody there. He's not talking to anybody. And isn't it interesting that that's when Creepy Man appears? Yeah, I, I know. Um, I will say that at one point, Fred is talking to Andy and says, like, that Mr. Laurent is dead. Yeah. And this comes up later. But Andy's like, what? No, he can't be dead. So... That's kind of just a weird aside because we don't even know who Laurent is at this point. Yeah. Um, and then Fred has the talk with Creepy Dude. And I think he is probably literally the devil. But And okay. let me point something out because when you have a character this extreme – and by the way, Robert Blake, whatever you feel about Robert Blake, he's quite good in this movie, to put it mildly – 
it's interesting when when you have a character like this. I'm always wondering, okay, like is this going to be a Tyler Durden situation? I'm not going to spoil Fight Club, but I think anybody knows what I'm talking about. So here's this is what I mean. Because when you have a movie like this and you have a character that's extreme, I'm always going like, okay, can anybody else see this person, right? Right. So on the one hand, uh, Andy, played by Michael Massey, walks over to Bill Pullman and Pullman like points to a cluster of people where Creepy Man is and he asks, who is that guy? You know, why was he invited to the party, blah, blah, blah. And Michael Massey quickly explains, I don't know if he's talking about the right person. I don't know. Mm. You know, I, I think – the indication could be that he might not even be there. Maybe he's only visible to Bill Pullman. Mm. At the end of the film, there's another character who sees him, and that's a character who is possibly one of the most evil in the film. Mm-hmm. So I do kind of wonder if this is a figure that you can only see if you are, you know, compromised, clo- cloaked in darkness. Yeah, mm, yeah. That- Film noir territory, folks. Film yeah. noir territory. I-, I-, I could go along with that for sure. Um, on the car ride home. Fred asks uh, Renee, like, how did you meet Andy? And she says, you know, they have kind of this weird conversation, something about a job. And he's like, well, what job? And she's like, I don't even remember. It's like so long ago. He's in real estate. Don't you know? He left us that tape. <laughs> he wants us uh, to upgrade our apartment. Oh, man. So they arrive home and it looks like, okay, so when they get home, there's like some lights that flash in their room and it looks like something leaves their house. Yes. And it's like, oh my gosh, is it creepy dude or some spirit or something? Yes. Is uh is creepy dude still up there? Yeah. Yeah. And it it's it's really weird. Um Fred doesn't see anything, but I feel like maybe he senses something. Um Renee's getting ready for bed and Fred disappears down the hall and stares at himself in a mirror. <laughs> and it's really strange. Yes. Like he's just the whole time, these two people just feel like disembodied in a way, like they're not fully there. Well, again, if we're if we're going in in Lynch territory and territory that he covered in a prior film, not to mention the series that preceded it, if we're doing the Twin Peaks thing about doubles, uh, perhaps one side of the mirror is one side of Fred, and maybe one is taking over while another is is leaving. Um, and I think the indication that we later learn about Patricia Arquette's character, not learn about her, but something that's suggested about her, there, you know, there are doubles here, um, either literally defined or maybe it's a character thing as well. Mm-hmm. And considering what happens next with Fred, maybe it's maybe we could suggest that one Fred goes down the hallway and another one emerges. Mm, maybe because we have another day, another videotape. So that's uh, three. This is we're on number three, guys. You remember the early days of Netflix, everyone? When it used to arrive, like every day in your mailbox, you used to get excited. It's like this, except evil. <laughs> so um, it shows Fred standing over his murdered wife. Yeah. And- um, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say this, but as someone who's seen this movie a couple times and this movie finally arrived on Criteria, and I thought, I want to take a look at this. Um, I regret that. Uh Renee is in pieces. Uh, there's pieces of her everywhere, and and her husband Bill Pullman is just Wait, you covered. Wait, took a in... look at the scene. Yeah, oh, the frame because it goes oh. by very very quickly. But if you actually freeze frame it and you see it in color, it's a pretty messy set. It's yeah. pretty gross. Ew, I've... you did. Ew. I wanted to see. I was curious. <laughs> I study film for Pete's sake. Okay. Anyway, I regret that. And um, if you all know a good therapist, uh, remember it's <laughs> so I married a film forward slash therapy for her husband. (laughs) So um, then we see Fred with the detectives and he's just like, tell me I didn't kill her. 
and the jury finds Fred guilty of murder? Yeah, within two minutes. I mean, we're on fast forward here. Wow. It yeah. just goes by super, so fast. Yeah. And it's almost like they've sentenced him to death by electric chair or something. But he goes into a cell and he keeps seeing Renee's dead body in his mind. And at one point, Fred falls to his knees. He needs to see a doctor. And the doctor's like, have you been sleeping? And he's like, no, I haven't been sleeping. Like, obviously. I'm in jail for <laughs> murder. I am not sleeping. <laughs> not doing well, doctor. But hey, you, you got a saxophone? I could play a song. <laughs> so he kind of is back in his cell and he's just like, guard, guard. And this part did actually make me laugh because the guard's like, hey, that, that wife killer is looking pretty effed up. And the other one's like, which one? <laughs> ah, 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 prison guard humor. <laughs> one of which is played by spoken word tour genius Henry Rollins. I know. So they just like laugh maniacally. Um, Fred sees a house on fire and then it's like, it's not on fire. It's like it going in. It's a reverse re- footage. Rewind. It's cool. And then creepy dude walks out and you're like, oh my gosh. Yes. I do think this confirms like, his. <laughs> figures he would live there. Yeah, exactly. He's living in a fire. Yeah. He's the devil. Um, we see the highway and then all of a sudden a guy named Pete shows up. Yeah, well, what would you? I mean, what, what would you say? Is, is it a metamorphosis? Is it a transformation? What's going on with Bill Pullman? It's like his head is melting or something. It's. I have no idea because some of these transitions just go by so fast, and the editing is so quick. I, I'm not going to watch it frame by frame. Let me throw out a possible interpretation. Maybe, perhaps, Fred does get electrocuted, and maybe this is the brain damage that he's receiving in those volts. Is the rest of the film. In those moments, those moments, which maybe feel like hours for him, this is the lucid dream that appears. Yeah. Because at one point I did think like, oh, they're going to put him in an electric chair and then they put him in the, in the cell. Yeah. And he does keep talking about how his head is hurting. Yeah. So maybe. And that is a repeating motif throughout the story. Exactly. With the character that's standing in for for Fred. Yeah. Maybe Fred is dead. We don't know. So now we're back at the prison after it's like, who's Pete? What's happening? Um, and a different man is in Fred's cell. It's yep. Peter. Played by Balthazar Getty. And of the Getty legacy. And yeah. He's the, a Getty Getty, folks. Look yeah. it up. Then I Good mean, actor though, by the way. Lord of the Flies. He's a good actor. He's done good stuff. Then the guards are kind of like, uh, we have a problem. We have this like random guy. We don't know where Fred is. And so Peter's parents come to get him and take him home. And then there's cops outside of Pete's house. And this continues. These cops just basically follow him around. I found it interesting that uh, Pete's father is played by Gary Busey. And Busey is constantly in a leather jacket. His hair looks like it. So is the mom. Leather jacket. Is this what Hollywood people look like? I wonder, is it just like, hey, man, we live in Hollywood. You know, we got, you got, you always dress like you're going to be an extra in an action movie. I don't know. Maybe it's just what David Lynch thinks regular people dress like. Or is this like, is, is this like Amy Poehler in uh, Mean Girls? Just one of those parents that are trying a little too hard to be cool all the time I'm to the cool, young people. I'm the cool mom. Because, I mean, these two, I mean, I mean, they look like they're going to open for Depeche Mode. They look really cool the way they're dressed. <laughs> I'm like, man, has Gary Busey ever looked better in a movie? He looks awesome. Yeah, but we don't really, I mean, they're not in it very much. No. 
The movie needed more Gary Busey. Hilarious. <laughs> okay, so Pete looks traumatized. He's just sitting in his backyard. And he's got this interesting circular scar that's scabbing over in his head. Um, yeah, he's got a head injury. Yeah. And I, I don't know what that's about. And he doesn't remember anything. It almost looks like a bullet hole. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And of course, he has these repeated headaches later on. I mean, even his friends come over. They don't know where he's been. And I was like, wait. How long has he been gone? One of his friends is Scott Coffey, um, who later appears in Mulholland Drive. And another friend, apparently it's Giovanni Ribisi. I didn't even recognize oh, him. Oh, no. I didn't yeah. recognize him either. Yeah. These, these characters are very small. They go by quick, except for the female in the group, which is played by Natasha Gregson-Wagner, the daughter of the late great Natalie Wood. Yeah. She's worried about him. She's kind of like, what happened? Where have you she, been? Where Sheila. were you? Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, Pete goes back to work. How long was he He's gone? working for Richard Pryor, folks. Wow. Richard Pryor in his final film role. Oh, this was the last movie? Yeah. Oh, wow. And Pryor, I mean, by his estimation, I think he's right. I remember him being interviewed. I think He's like, I think I did 100 movies. I think he's right. It's amazing that this is where it ended. I wish, I wish the role were funnier because he was a comic genius even at this point in his life. The end of his life, he's wheelchair bound, but he's still, you know, his mind was still very sharp. I wish Lynch had given him just a little just a little more to do than be a character that anybody could have played. But yeah. to say the least, it is fascinating to see him in this. Now, this is where we meet Robert Loja, who plays Loge. Mr. Eddie. The Loge. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. He shows up at Pete's work. He... Um, he goes with him. He so he's like Pete, get in the car. I want you to hear something, and he kind of is like best ears in town. And I'm like, that's so weird. So Pete, but he, as Balthazar Geddes, Pete demonstrates. Yeah, he can hear what the problem is. Pulls over the car, gets out a wrench, tightens things up, and he's got it. So no, he really is. He has yeah. like a Yoda understanding of how. This car works. He does. Mr. Eddie then just takes him for a drive. A guy is like tailgating him and he's kind of, so Mr. Eddie like waves him forward. The guy flips him off and Mr. Eddie almost runs him off the road and then beats him up. And he is like, tells him not to tailgate anymore and to read a driver's manual. <laughs> and it is like the most extreme road rage in a movie ever. It's, it's again, this, this example, like as I mentioned in the first scene, where you have dialogue that can be completely – I mean like to read the dialogue that Loja has, it's like he's reading from a driver's manual about how you should never tailgate. But what's amazing and hilarious is that Loja is beating this guy within an inch of his life, beating him to a pulp. Yeah, the guy is like crying. Well, cry, yeah, I mean like it's, it's shockingly violent but it's so funny. Yeah. It's darkly humorous and hilarious and Loja is just ferocious in this, in this role, in this movie in general. Because they take off and he's like, I'm sorry about that, Pete, but tailgating is one thing I cannot tolerate. <laughs> And I love it how right before Loja, he gets flipped off by the guy and right before Loja like hits the pedal to the metal, like his two goons in the backseat, they they silently buck with their yeah. seatbelts like, oh, like, this again. Uh-oh, he's oh, going man. off the rails. That guy's dead meat. So the cops recognize Mr. Eddie as Mr. Laurent. Dick Laurent. Dick there we Le- go. Yep. So I'm like, maybe he knows Creepy Dude. And then I was like, oh, no. What if they're like in cahoots together? But it's already been established in the first half of the movie that Dick Laurent is dead, correct? Isn't that what Andy tells him? Um, no. Fred tells Andy Dick Laurent is dead. And Andy's like, what? No. He, how do you know? Hmm. You know, like, where where'd you hear that? And yeah. he's like, I don't know. I just know. So 
It's weird. Interesting. A lot yeah. of, and when we get to this portion of the film, Balthazar Getty's character Pete is having. There's a lot of echoes of who he was when he was Bill Pullman. Uh, not to get too confusing about it, but he's uh, w- whenever that aspect is introduced, it's almost like he gets headaches or he's physically repulsed by it. It's almost like his body is rejecting the fact that he used to be Bill Pullman. Yeah, which is strange to think about it like that. But uh, Pete and his girlfriend go for a drive, and there's like <laughs> so like you know car sex, and the cops that are following him are just like. Yeah. <laughs> yes, with car sex with Natasha Gregson Wagner. We should keep that straight because there's a lot of sex in this movie. This is probably I think this is the dirtiest film David Lynch has made, actually. Yeah. You yeah. didn't tell me that that was going to be happening. Is that a problem? I was more worried about how you do with, with Robert Blake yeah, in this movie. I know. I'm not really worried about the sex and the nudity. Yeah, the Robert Blake stuff was. I was, gonna, I was, was a little weird. more worried about the nightmare fuel, to tell you the truth, yeah. how you would react to that. That's true. Like, so this goes back to what you were saying about Pete being repulsed by yeah. the Fred stuff. Because mm-hmm. when he's at work, there's a radio station playing what sounds exactly like Fred's terrible saxophone music. <laughs> and Pete just changes the station. And the adorable Jack Nance, who uh, once played Eraserhead for David Lynch. Jack mm. Nance plays a mechanic goes, I like that. Yeah. Oh, man, I like that terrible music. <laughs> like, ew, it's so awful. It. It's like high-pitched and out of tune, it sounds like. You just don't get jazz, Julia. That's the problem. <laughs> you just don't get it, man. Just like, let go of your preconceived notions of what music is and just like, let it happen, okay? <laughs> this is not music. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I don't remember seeing any extras in that scene. I don't remember seeing anybody in that club listening to Bill Pullman. Oh, really? He's just Do up you? on this. No, there were people there, but I don't know if they were in the same frame. You think maybe him. it's like his family, like, I'm so proud of my son. <laughs> I went deaf years ago, but I would never miss a concert. Yeah. Good then, job, Fred. Then she has a seizure and dies. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Well, the strobe light. He oh, just went darker than David Lynch. Well done, Julia. <laughs> oh, no, I did not. Okay, Mr. Eddie returns, and this is where we see Renee who is also played by Patricia Arquette. But now with blonde. beautiful, long, blonde, golden hair. Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, this yeah, she magic... looks like, like, oh gosh, like, like Marilyn Monroe, Rita Hayworth. I mean, she looks movie star glamorous. And the song, this magic moment starts playing. Yeah. By Lou Reed. Good cover. <laughs> and Pete is just like, he's in love. I think. Well, lust, whatever. Is there a difference, Julian? Well, there isn't. Come on. Yeah. No, he doesn't. Yes. In this world, in this film noir world, there is no difference. Oh, all right. None. All right. Well, okay. So it's later that night. We're back at Pete's work and blonde Renee shows up. Now she is in a white satin dress, whereas earlier in the first part of the movie, Renee has black Black hair and black satin. Do you think we got some Hitchcockian color coding here? I do. Yeah, I don't know what it means. It was well, interesting because I would say just offhand that uh, Renee, the blonde version of Patricia Arquette. No, no. Renee is the. Oh, I already screwed it up. Yeah. All right. So yeah. Renee is the first version, yes. which had dark hair, black satin. Yes. I would say that she was the good one. Yes. And I would say the one dressed in white. Yeah, Alice. Alice, interesting name, is the, uh, the bad one, the bad one even the though she's rabbit. dressed in white. Ah, the white rabbit. Or how the devil has been said in the Bible to become across as an oh. angel of light. Mm. She's definitely the angel of light and leading him straight to you know where. There you go. H-E-Double Hockey Sticks, <laughs> a.k.a. Creepy Man's House. 
Fire hut. So she's kind of like, do you want to take me out? And he's like, I don't think that's a good idea. She's like, how about I take you out? And they don't even go to dinner. They just go straight to a hotel. And again, the cops are like, dang, (laughs) (laughs) this guy is getting around. Waste no time whatsoever. I know. It's good to be Balthazar Getty in this movie. Yeah, they meet up another night. I love this. She calls him at home and she's like, meow, meow, it's me. (laughs) Can you call me like that? (laughs) Not kidding. (laughs) I would love that. Except when I have someone with me and I have you on speakerphone, that'd be pretty bad. That would be bad, yeah. I'm driving my mom right now. Can we not not do that right now, please? This is really embarrassing. (laughs) Meow, meow, it's me. Uh, Mom, can you hold, please? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So she has to go somewhere with Mr. Eddie and and just kind of is like, we have to be careful. He suspects us. And I'm like, all right. This is bad news for Pete because he knows Mr. Eddie. He knows the violence that he's capable of. And now he's like getting with his girl. I mean, okay, I'm going to have an affair with Mr. Eddie's girl. I mean, as long as I don't tailgate him, I'm probably going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, he can't abide tailgating. How about sex with his girlfriend? Wait a second. Is tailgating a euphemism for anything? (laughs) If so, I'm in a lot of trouble. Yeah, exactly. So then it seems like Pete's having a psychological break. And after, you know, after a lot of sex scenes. Yeah, after Alice is like, I can't see you tonight. And he then goes to Sheila. And then this sex scene mirrors the one, the first one we see with Fred and Renee, where it's just like really disembodied. Mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. Graphic, but not sexy. Right. Which is, I got to hand it to you, David Lynch. Well done. I know. It's like <laughs> these are these are good looking people, and this is it's an erotic film only in the technical sense, but it's it's a very unsexy movie about very about attractive people. Then we have a scene with Pete's parents. They want to know if he remembers what happened the, the other night. The parents remember that night. I guess Pete came home with Sheila and another man they'd never seen before. And then we have this like weird flashback, and I'm not sure who that man. I think they're talking about creepy dude. You think they're talking about? I think they're definitely talking because they've never seen the man before. That's that tends to be. Mm -hmm. They tend to speak about him in very mythic terms whenever they're talking about this character, any of these characters. And it seems like Pete vanished on the front lawn. That's what it looks like. That's what I thought too. It's just like he just like disappeared literally. Just a dissolve. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's some lightning and. And then what? He ends up in the jail cell. Yeah. In prison. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, Nobody wants to talk about it. The next day at work, Mr. Eddie comes by and he's like, tells him how much he loves Alice and he'll kill anyone who makes out with her. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm just talking about this coincidentally. So uh, what have you been doing lately? What have you been up to? Yeah. Like, Any you hobbies? Say, yeah. <laughs> have you met anyone recently? Are you going to any motels? You uh, haven't been thinking about tailgating lately, have you? <laughs> Have you been going down the rabbit hole? <laughs> if you get my drift. <laughs> now, you remember Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. Now, say Alice was a real person. <laughs> <laughs> but still blonde, you know. All right. You wouldn't have intercourse yet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know, like, Mr. I'm Eddie- talking in code here, but I'm curious, Pete. What do you do when you're... Spare time. Not cranking my gear shifts in my car. 
Again, euphemism. All euphemisms. <laughs> because later, then Alice meets Pete at the hotel, and she thinks Mr. Eddie knows about them. Duh. Well, course. man, I mean, this scene where he pulls up, and she's like in the balcony going, hi, come on up. <laughs> I got our room ready. I'm sexually ready for you right now. Oh, God. The cops are just sitting there like, dang. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But um, she says he'll kill us. <laughs> Mr. Eddie will. Speaking obviously. Like, yeah. Obviously. And she wants to run away with Pete. And then Alice tells the story of how she met Mr. Eddie. Mm. So. And this is, I, you know. Some critics say – some critics say – you know, look, I'm talking generally about other film critics who I love and respect. I do. I, I love reading film criticism. Most of you all know that. One of the biggest haters of this film, of course, was the wonderful late great Roger Ebert. He especially objected to the scene because he said it's one thing for the characters to exploit and abuse Patricia Arquette. It's another thing for the director to do the same. I don't feel that way. The fact that Patricia Arquette strips down for this scene, I agree. It's a it's an exploitive, gratuitous touch. But the scene ends there, and I do love uh, I love the way the scene is staged, and I love how it's showing her very slowly walk over to Mr. Eddie in a state in a state of being disrobed as well as terrified. She reaches out her hand for him, and suddenly it cuts back to Pete, and the scene goes on. The flashback ends. I like the way that's handled, frankly. Mm -hmm. This isn't a movie that has a lot of restraints, but mm -hmm. I, I think that scene is well done because it, it suggests a lot more than it shows. Well, and also, I think we kind of – now we see that their relationship is not um, – it's sorted. It's yeah. it's uh, you know it's it's about a you know imprisonment. It's uh, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. that it's it's not like he just met her on like you know what at a bar and like picked her up like yeah no. she's it, she's a prisoner of Mr. Yeah. Eddie yeah yeah and and she's making a lot of money by being with him and his associates. But if we're going to talk about this in terms of film noir, it's you know she's a in a some senses no actually a lot of senses she's a traditional gangster's mall um mm. she does not have freedom she does not have agency she is arm candy that is her role uh but she is also someone who's a lot smarter and stronger than that and you know we see the ways that she's fighting against that you know one encounter one person at a time yeah and she did meet him i think through this andy guy yes it's andy's fault yeah, yeah. that she got pulled into this right. i think yeah i agree so Alice and Pete have a plan to steal money from Andy. This is total film noir territory here because it's interesting because, you know, I think a more traditional film noir would be like, okay, we're going to kill Mr. Eddie, take his money and run. But this is this is more like the source, proper revenge, and we don't like it. Yeah, I, think, I think at this point we actually kind of, you know, Robert Loggia is such a colorful villain. I'm kind of glad they're keeping him in the film. Well, we kind of... We don't hate him the most right now. Yeah, Andy is scum. Andy and Creepy Dude. We we don't... Creepy Dude is in and out of the movie, but, though, at this but point. But there's, like, multiple people that were kind of like, ooh, no, we don't like him, we don't like him. It's different like levels of villainy, yeah. yeah there's a, yeah. a lot of evil folks in this movie. It's it's very similar to Blue Velvet in that respect, in that, excuse me, in that respect where you've got... It's about this these the chain of command in the underworld. And, you know, arguably crazy uh, – creepy man, as you call him. Creepy man, Robert Blake, he's kind of at the top of the chain because he has a supernatural presence over everything else. And then below him would be Mr. Eddie. And then you've got Andy who's the, the lackey for Mr. Eddie. Right. So Alice is like, 
I'll go over, party with Andy. You come at this time, you knock him out, we steal his money, and then we're then we're free to do whatever I, we want. So I love to tell my students whenever I teach on film noir, and I do it a lot, and this this whole thing of like, look, it's a love story, it's two people morally compromised, the femme fatale, the unreliable hero, they're in bed, and she says, you know, you and I could be happy, you and I could be rich. You just we commit this one little murder and everything will be just fine. Yeah. And he's like, okay, like a big dumb male. Right. And yep. it's like, no, warning, warning. <laughs> this is bad. Okay. I kill for you. So Pete goes home and he finds Sheila. She's ticked. Um, but now she wants – she leaves. Um, but then she's like, there's a man on the phone. And it's Mr. Eddie. And he hands the phone over to creepy dude. And he says he's been to his house. Oh, man. Ooh. He's good. He's a good real estate agent. Yeah. And Mr. Eddie keeps going, you doing Okay. Pete, just want to make sure you're doing good. Yeah, you're doing okay. Then he hands the phone to creepy dude, which is, again, beyond... The way it's shot, I think, is especially uncomfortable because the actors are facing the camera and Loggia almost seems to be in a trance. And the way he hands the phone, the camera basically just pans to the the left and there's there's creepy man. Yeah. Yeah. So Loggia and Blake are just doing a two-hander creepy thing. And then at the end... Uh, Mr. Eddie gets the phone back. She's like, just want just to make sure you're doing okay. And uh, Pete is on the other end of the phone, like tears coming down. Yeah. He's terrified. Of course. Yeah. Which anybody would be after now. He, now, he knows what he's going to be doing with Alice. I've talked to the devil and Captain Tailgate. Things are going really bad. And now I have to go murder my girlfriend's former pimp. Yes, things are going <laughs> things, really bad for Pete. Things are not And he doesn't know where the heck he was the last couple of days. And he has this weird hole in his head. Yeah. And he just broke up with Natasha Gregson Wagner. So, yeah, yeah things are I very mean, bad. Yeah, when you put it like that, yes, life, his a, life's a shambles. It's a whole lot of crap. Yeah. All right, so... The next night, Pete takes the bus to where Alice is so they can rob Andy and run away together. He gets inside the house and there's just like a huge porno with Alice on this big screen and creepy German chanting, by the way. It's like- Excuse me. That's Rammstein. Okay. That is one of the top German heavy metal bands of all time. Okay. Okay. On the subtitles, it said German chanting. So that's what I'm going with. The the subtitles don't But it's like, okay, now we have poor Pete. He's now in the devil's lair. His girlfriend's porn is on the TV on like a huge movie sized screen. And he's supposed to now commit this murder. Yeah. Which he does very, very easily. Well, it's crazy because Pete hits Andy over the head. Not enough. Right. Because then he gets back up. He pushes him into a table and this like glass table just like goes through his forehead yeah i mean i don't know how they did this effect i think it's pretty i mean i I think they cut a like a little half circle in the table and he just like put his head it's like the arrow on the head trick yeah i know but like i the the way this actor is like he just had to be very still oh man yeah for hours i'm sure it's very uncomfortable um, yeah yeah it's like Janet Lee on the bathroom floor. I yeah. mean, it's bad. I mean, it's impressive. Yes. But. It looks grisly and gnarly. As it yeah. should. Yeah. So in, uh, oh my gosh. So Alice comes down. 
and she's just good job p yeah yay way to go and she just starts like taking jewelry off of yeah it's like all right you did your part i don't need to act like i'm all cutesy anymore like let's get out of here yeah but then we see and by let's i mean me (laughs) well this is where we see the picture yes and it's a picture of alice mr eddie andy and renee and now and he's so like, we see two Patricia Arquettes in one picture, yeah. which is very creepy. Because it's like, oh, wait a second. Are they two different people? Yeah. And then Pete's like, is this you? Is, is this you? She's like, obviously, this one's me. And she points to the blonde one. Yeah. It's just a real tossed off moment. Like the film doesn't stop to to linger on it. And, you know, we're, we're in vertigo territory here. You know, Hitchcock had, you know, the bottle, the bottle blonde uh, versus the brunettes. And, you know, if they're the same person, the duality here. Uh, but. It's frustrating here because, wait a second, one of these women is supposed to be dead. Are they sisters? Yeah. And the movie quickly jumps over the possibility and continues with the film noir plot. Yeah, because I was thinking she was going to say like, oh, yeah, I have a twin. Yeah. But she doesn't say that. No, not at all. I mean, that would be an easy explanation. But Mm -hmm. of course, we're not going to get that. No, no. And at one point, I want to say really quickly, Pete goes upstairs to use the bathroom. He goes into the wrong room. I've never understood what this scene's about. There is a woman in there. I think it's supposed to be. I I wrote yes. I wrote. I I wrote. Pete goes into (laughs) goes to the bathroom. He opens the door to find Alice like doing it with some guy, and then closes the door. Yeah, I don't know. Look, and I I remember vividly when the movie was over in the parking lot talking with my dear friend Jeremy about what we had just seen, and we both liked the movie a lot. Really admired it, but I mean, there's so much here that baffled us, and this was a moment like I don't get it because the way it was shot it looks like it's a purposeful blur effect on the top of the frame so you know i don't know if it's if it's an aside i don't know if it's a look into a different portal i don't know if we're really seeing another and yet a third patricia arquette yeah not sure what's up and i wrote this quote like did you want to ask me why it's like that's what she says yeah to him it's very weird. So we're looking into what her soul. Uh, this is yet another uh, another doppelganger. I'm not sure. I know. So then um, the real Alice that we're dealing with points a gun at Pete and is like, "Do you trust me, Pete?" And it's like, um, everything within him should say no <laughs> at this point. But then they steal Andy's car, and now they're on the highway. The lost. Highway. Yeah, they go to the cabin that was on fire in Fred's dream earlier. Creepy man's address. I mean, you know what? This and is she like, knows where it is, by the way. Yeah, this is like nightmare fuel. This cabin where you're like, bad things have happened here. I know it. Well, you look inside the cabin. The thing that gives it nightmare fuel. There is a couch that has the plastic wrapping on it. Yeah, like that just. Man, well done, David Lynch. I mean, That's like every kid's nightmare when you go over to your grandparents' house. Like, we leave the plastic wrap on because they're grandkids, you know, with their crayons and their ice cream cones. Oh, my god! It just always makes that loud crinkle, crinkle sound when you sit on it. That's not why it's a nightmare fuel. This is like where this is where bad things happen. On that couch. Yeah, on that couch. But you get the plastic wrapping to like prevent it. But it's creepy because that wrapping just stays on the couch indefinitely. Okay, all right, well, I want to go on because this is like the weirdest <laughs> sex scene ever. You know, ever. on the one hand, it's like it's Patricia Arquette, she's gorgeous. I get it. But, you know, a bed and um, something sanitary okay, to lie but, on. But even she doesn't want to have sex with him in this cabin because it's like evil. She would rather 
go back outside in the dirt, in the desert <laughs> with the headlights the head, in the, shining on yes. them. Yes. Yeah. So it's like the headlights there. You can't even really see. I mean, they're almost like washed out. Yeah. It's, it's so like bright. Glowing. Yeah. It's... But the wind, the the dirt, like the dust that's flying around. I mean, it's like the elements of the earth are burning. I know. I'm like sex outside in the light of the car headlights on the dirt. Yeah. This is not sexy, but I mean, it's a good looking, I mean, movie like oh, thing. Oh, that's what Lynch's detractor said. It looks good, but what does it mean? Yeah. I, but at the same time, I'm going, this looks very uncomfortable. You know, they're just kind of like rolling around. Bless these actors. It takes nerve to do a scene like this. Okay. So I wanted to talk about like what they say to each other though, because... Yeah, that's key. I agree. Um, before... When they're talking about their plan with killing Andy, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, and this is kind of after she talks about how she met Mr. Eddie and everything. She's like, do you still want me? You know, almost like. Um, Are you still into this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, okay, fast forward to this scene in the desert on the ground they're both naked and stuff and he just keeps saying like i want you alice i want i want you alice he says it over and over and after this very long scene i mean it goes on for quite a while um apparently she's done she gets up and she'll go you'll never have me she walks off goes into the house of evil and that's the last we ever see of alice Hmm. interesting so what is happening is she going home Oh my gosh. Ooh. Well, is she? I don't know. Daddy, I'm home. Oh my gosh, sick. I I don't know. It's like she like the bride of the devil. Like what is happening? A succubus? I don't know. Yeah. Okay, but then But then um then Pete gets transforms yeah, back to Fred. And so then you have naked Bill Pullman. The intercourse was so good, he's transformed <laughs> back to Bill Pullman. <laughs> like, what? I I don't know. And then I think he recognizes that this is the house, right, that he saw. And it's like now he, he scrambles to get dressed. So, you know. Which is smart. Yeah. Yeah. So he can fight creepy dude. You don't want to deal with creepy dude with no clothes on. That's no. That's real nightmare fuel there. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, Goes inside the the cabin, whatever the creepy heck it dude is. shows up in the car and then in the house. Fred goes in the house. There's no Alice, just creepy dude, and he has his video camera and he's like following, chasing him. And I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, you know, in 1999, two years after this came out, Entertainment Weekly had a list of the 20 scariest movies of all time, and this movie was on the list. And they cited this scene where. Creepy man, Robert Blake, is chasing Bill Pullman with his camcorder, with his arm reached out to him. There's just something psychologically uncomfortable about it. You know, Lynch is not a horror film director, but he knows how to make films scary in a way that gets under your skin. And this is this is one of those moments. Yeah, so now we're back on the highway. and What kind of highway is it? What kind? It's the lost highway. Yes. <laughs> Um, but this is where Fred, he shows up to the Lost Highway Hotel. A little on the nose, Mr. Lynch, but okay. Yeah. And now Mr. Eddie is with Renee now? Yes. It's a sex scene. And and it's weird because it's like, how do they know each other? 
Yeah, exactly. And when Renee vanishes on her husband, when her jealous husband, Bill Pullman, at the earlier part of the film, calls home and she's not there, is this where she goes? She Does she go down that dark hallway and have an affair at the Lost Highway Hotel with Mr. Eddie and then come back? I, I don't know. That's a good question. So, Fred, Is this really Renee? Or is this a manifestation of Alice? Uh, is Alice going through the looking glass once again and becoming something, someone different? Is there two people or is it one person who can simply shapeshift? Ooh, I don't know. These are all good questions. But Fred beats up Mr. Eddie, throws him in the trunk of his car. Creepy dude just like watching. It's very, very strange. Fred um, drives back to the desert, fights Mr. Eddie and ends up slitting his throat. Yeah. And it's like... Very satisfying, by the way. There's a part where like a knife ends up in Fred's hand, and then you see later that creepy dude handed Fred the knife, which is a very devil thing to do. It's very helpful. He needed a knife. (laughs) He's like, here you go. (laughs) Yeah. And then, I don't know, we're like, a film is handed to Mr. Eddie, and... We get a flashback. We get a flashback, and I was like... That we don't want to see. Is it a snuff film? Because it looks like a snuff film. Yes. A porn snuff film. A porn snuff film, yeah. Which is... A a twofer, as they call it in Hollywood. Is a bit... Probably one of the most disturbing parts of this movie for me. Um, I think it's stylized enough that... I mean, I'm not saying it's not disturbing, but I think it's... Lynch does it in a way that's, you know, artsy and formalistic enough that... For you. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I, I it was it was a tough. Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't want to watch this. And a cameo by Marilyn Manson yeah, that which, we all don't want to watch. No, which made it even worse. Um, so there's a flashback to him, what to Mr. Eddie watching this film and making out with Renee in Andy's house. Is it Renee or is it Alice? It's Renee. Okay. Brown, dark hair. Ah. So then the creepy dude shoots. Mr. Eddie, and then he Multiple disappears. Yeah. yeah. So now we have the cops at Andy's house, and now the photo that we saw earlier changes, and it's just Renee, Mr. Eddie, and Andy. It's an no, eerie touch. No, Alice. Not sure what that means, but yeah, it's a very eerie touch. I, I like that. And the photo yeah. is black and white. It could not be creepier. Yeah. So then Either I, version. I was like, okay, I don't remember what my earlier theory was. It'll come back to me. But that part... Just was so strange, the photo. Because yeah. you think the photo is like a clue, and then it ends up he tricks. Uh, I feel like Lynch is tricking us. It's, it's not really a clue. And and you tricked me because we were watching this movie, and you're like, yeah, the movie's almost over. It's he's gonna wrap it up, and it all makes sense in the next fifteen minutes. And I go, oh, really? That's great. You're like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't mean to be cruel to my wife listeners, but sometimes it just happens. <laughs> and I was like, dang it, I was so excited for this to all be like wrapped up in a bow and that's never happening. You know, that's that's how I felt watching Mulholland Drive. Like, okay, at any minute, everything's going to be explained. And no, no, not at all. So we see Fred drive home to his house and we hear like Dick Laurent is dead. And then the cops chase Fred onto the highway. And you said at the beginning of the film, when Fred the is- very The very first scene very first film, scene. Because it's slow. And one of the reasons it's slow is not only to establish mood and to kind of pull you into the film, but Bill Pullman is taking his time, and the listeners, this is the first four minutes of the movie, he's taking his time to go outside to answer the door. You listen, you will hear 
you'll hear a door close and you'll hear the you'll hear like the squeal of the tire run off. And we see that physically in the last scene of the film. So basically, we're dealing with some some time jump here where Fred is now in front of his own apartment. He is the person who is dropping off the incriminating and weird videotape in an envelope in oh, front of his... Oh, he's dropping off videotapes to himself? I think so. I think he's basically starting oh, this man. this cycle, this circle. You're right. I think so. And he's, you know, answering the door, talking to himself. Dick Lorraine is dead. That's him. And then he wheels it out of there before someone could open the door and be like, hey, the movie cuts... You know, we see the, 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 the auto chase ensue. The movie does not give us the moment that I wish it had, which is that we see Bill Pullman and his robe open the door be like, huh? And we see that there are two Bill Pullmans. Right. I think that would have been helpful, <laughs> but yeah. or maybe more confusing. I don't know. But I, I would have liked it because I think it would have been a little more clear about the doppelganger situation here because these it does feel like two very different worlds. The beginning of the film and the end of the film and everything in the middle, it feels different. But really, it's a cyclical thing. It's the same world. People are inhabiting this world. But it just seems like some people are alive, some people are dead. Okay, here was my my one of my theories that, okay, Pete is Bill Pullman when he's younger. I love that. That's so interesting. And he had this experience with Alice, Mr. Eddie. Yeah. Mr. Eddie, and then grows up. Which it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because, you know, he's already in his twenties or whatever when this happens. So I don't, I don't think my theory is actually correct, but who cares? Um, then he he has this whole experience and becomes like really jaded because he was really like kind of drawn into this dark underworld and hurt by this woman, and so then he, as Bill Pullman, he ends up meeting someone who reminds him so much of Alice, but isn't actually Alice. But there are all these things like mirror each other, right? Yeah. And so maybe it's talking about how, you know, we kind of keep repeating our same mistakes yes. over and over in, in a way. I love that. And, you know, the the young Pete, he encounters Mr. Eddie who answers all of his problems, expresses everything through anger, physical anger, verbal anger. Mr. Eddie is just a constant angry dude. So it makes sense that Pete would grow up to be Fred and he would take out all of his anger and aggression on a saxophone. <laughs> and that's his way of hurting his audience. Oh my gosh. So no refunds once Fred starts playing. <laughs> the other theory I had was that um these two women really are different women and they have been pulled into this like underworld of pornography and basically sex trafficking and they can't get out that because of just the hold that this these kind of things have on people and so maybe it's like the movie is showing that getting out of like this kind of situation is almost impossible yeah um and the time loop and maybe the way that these women possibly jump through i don't know maybe not literal portals but you know what i mean like perhaps it is or it is yeah. i don't know it just kind of talks about the evil nature of what they're involved in yeah 
In any case, we should finish the description. So there's one that, last scene. No, that that was it. That was it. Where, well, you know, where it's a after after you know the the film goes full circle, and yes. you know, so then Bill Pullman is being chased by cops in the desert. It becomes nighttime. His head does a little twitchy twitch, and presumably explodes. And the movie ends. Oh, remember that? I don't think I quite understood that. This frame part. right here. Oh yeah. my ill. Ill. <laughs> Yeah, his head. Yeah, the last scene. Yeah, um, but his head explodes because he's, he's being in a time electrocuted. Loop. Oh, to go back to that I- that idea. Yeah, the the um, O Henry occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. The oh. idea of yeah, this whole thing being this twisted, sick fantasy that he has right before he's electrocuted. Okay, so <laughs> so if we <laughs> thank you for that. Okay, <laughs> do you get it? Because <laughs> it's like electric okay. electric bolts. No. Okay, so maybe the film is a little bit. If we look at it that way, it's more straightforward mm. because he. Um, except maybe it's not because how would you explain him dropping himself off videotapes? You know, when we, uh, I mean, it's been said by many that when we act in anger and jealousy, and you know, certainly even sexually, we're not ourselves. We become animalistic. We become different. So perhaps this movie is just talking about how we all live different lives, how we are two people. Because except for, you know, Mr. Eddie and a few of the side characters, the central characters are all doubles. They all have doubles of some sort, literal or figurative, you know, with Pete and 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 Fred. It's 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 weird. Like how are they even doubles? But there are doubles. Whereas with the Patricia Arquette, she's playing two different people who who share the same face for whatever mm-hmm. that's worth. And you could as I said, I think, you know, uh, creepy man, I'm calling him creepy man now. The mystery man played by Robert Blake, he's like the instigator. He is the individual who always appears whenever moral compromise is about to happen. Again, we're strictly, firmly in, in neo film noir territory. So, I mean, the film could be simply just just reflecting on the psyche of what happens when one commits murder, seemingly an unthinkable act, but, you know, either evil or whether it's psychosis. Um, Robert Blake is representing, you know, which is ironic because what he ended up going being on trial for. But he's representing, you know, evil that occurs uh, in 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 marriage, in relationships, in life. Okay, so maybe um, Fred, he, you know, we see that he sees his wife leave the club with somebody. We see that he's not quite sure what she's doing when she's not with him, you know, cause, Oh yeah, I'm going to stay home and read. Yeah, sure. You are. What are you reading? Um, so he goes into like a jealous rage and, and does murder her. And maybe everything that we see, like you said, is him making up this story. And in order to justify in his mind, his murderous actions, like, he comes up with like the worst possible thing. Like she's been, you know, she's in pornography. She's like being trafficked. She's doing all this crazy stuff. Um, Cause that like ju- for him is the only way he could I- live with himself, even though he's dying. But you know what I mean? Like live yeah. with the fact that he did this heinous thing. Right. And by the way, and yes, Listeners, I did say at the beginning of this podcast that embrace the mystery. It's okay not knowing. And here we are talking about all these interpretations <laughs> and theories and ideas that we have. But this is the one clue that Lynch has always provided. He said he wrote this screenplay during the O.J. Simpson trial. 
it was not over at that point. The O.J. Simpson trial was still, you know, well into it. But of course, you know, this, you know, what we know about Nicole Simpson, Ron Brown, and what ultimately happened, um, you know, it was it was said that that O.J. was jealous, and that you know, if he is the killer, indeed, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there tonight. But if he indeed is the if he did it, that's right. That's the name of the book. That's right. <laughs> book no one read um if he if he did it it was you know an act of jealous rage so we could be talking about simply just a fractured mind um of someone who commits a heinous crime i mean i guess you could even say that that fred was always the protagonist of this such as it is the the whatever anti-hero or antagonist of his own story and because we're seeing everything from his fractured viewpoint his point of view he's envisioning himself you know, in another life. Oh yeah, because what is he? What does he say when they? In the very first, one of the yeah. first scenes of the movie, tells the cops, "I don't remember. I don't like to remember the way things happen. I like to remember them the way I choose to remember them." Yeah, because yeah. they're like, "Do you have a video cassette player?" When they're like doing yeah. their fake investigation, and and he's like, "No, I just like to remember things the way I want to remember." Yeah, them. no, thank you for bringing that. I think that's a key line. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I think it's okay again. I think it's okay to watch this film, not have clear-cut answers. I mean, we don't have clear-cut answers. No, and we we absolutely do not tonight. We're just speculating. And I suspect if David Lynch was listening to this, he'd be like, um, no, that doesn't check out. No, no, not even close. No. But the thing we also talked about was that we felt like this was maybe kind of a first draft of- Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Yeah, I do feel like that. And I feel like the thing that- Makes this not my favorite David Lynch film. For some people, it is. I, I don't feel that way about Lost Highway, though. I like the film a lot. I feel, for one thing, it's mean. It's a mean film. And the other thing, Twin Peaks and Mahalan Drive, it's weird to say, but there is a sweetness at the center. There is. It is, you know, there are, there's quirkiness, there's a humor, and both Mahalan Drive and Twin Peaks have very likable, appealing, and really innocent characters at their center. And I think that that's, that's the vantage point. And it's also like a really great thing for audiences because it's like these, these, these are sordid worlds with sordid stories and sordid supporting characters. But because you have, you know, for example, Naomi Watts's character, Mulholland Drive, because you have agent, special agent Dale Cooper played by the wonderful Kyle McLaughlin and the Twin Peaks works. I feel like you have not only an audience surrogate, but you have someone who is like, okay, this is a sweet person. This is a good person. I'm rooting for them because they are in this world of evil and treachery. And in this case, these are film noir characters. There's nobody to root no, for yeah. in The Lost Highway. The characters are fascinating, but did, did I care about any of them? Not really. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of indifferent whether, for example, Fred and or, or um, Pete. Pete live or die. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I was, you know, I don't know. You, you have to like, you know, whether you like someone or not, you need to like at least be interested in them. And I always was. But yeah, this is a film where I'm more interested in the genre exercise of it. I'm interested in, you know, just the, the dreamlike quality of the story and the filmmaking. Absolutely. But I don't. If all these characters were gunned down at the end of the film, I can't say I'd feel one way or the other. No. It was very satisfying to see Robert Loggia's character die. If they were die. all gunned down at the end of the film, I'd be like, wow, like justice was served. If it was just the cops at the end of the movie, like all the cops and detectives being like, wow, we like, we really did it. We 
you know, we, we solved the case and we murdered yeah, everybody. We solved the case. We we put these traffickers behind bars or whatever these people are. I'd be like, great, like <laughs> that's a happy ending. Lynch co-wrote it with Barry Gifford. Barry Gifford wrote the novel Wild at Heart, which uh, you know that movie is based on the novel by Barry Gifford. I feel like Wild at Heart is a better film than this. Um, for one thing, I love Sailor and Lulu. I love the characters that Nicolas Cage and uh, and Laura Dern played. Again, it's that that sweetness to counter the counterbalance the darkness. There's so much darkness in this in this film. Um, Lynch's films don't need that necessarily in order to be good. Um, you know, Inland Empire is another tough one that deals with Hollywood and sordidness in different ways. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like the nastiness, because there's a lot of nastiness in, in Wild at Heart, but I do feel like because it's playful and because it's evoking The Wizard of Oz and because, uh, yeah, you know, I, th- I just feel like the comedy is strong in that film and that it helps make the film watchable. I, I, don't, think, I don't think Lost Highway is unwatchable. Um, I think I frankly I think uh, I think Lynch's most horrifying film is Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. I think that's probably the hardest one. I admire that film so much, but I think that's the hardest movie of his to watch from beginning to end. Um, yeah, so there's, there's good stuff in this movie, but I mean to say the least, if you're listening to this and you're just listening to hear what we have to say about it, you've never seen this movie. It's a tough watch. Um, if you're a David Lynch completist or you're interested in getting in his work, I th- I do think it's worth seeing. But no question. I mean, there's a reason why this movie would end up on a list of the most horrifying movies ever made. The yeah. scariest films ever made. Yeah. Robert Blake's performance is overwhelming. He's so scary in this. And it's, it has a lot to do with stillness. Um, and because – And the makeup and the fact that he like never blinks. <laughs> and we and we don't have a backstory. So the – which is even more eerie because the character could be anybody. All we know that he he exists – he has a supernatural ability that none of the other characters seemingly do. Yeah, because he's playing the devil in my opinion. I think he's an entity and a representative of evil. I don't know if he's playing the devil, but he definitely has the devil's picture in his wallet. I think that's safe to say. (laughs) Okay. So would you change the ending? I don't even know how you could without – and make. how would you make this movie make more sense? Could you? I don't want it to make more sense. See, this is a terrible answer. (laughs) I'm okay. I mean, look, if if the film is meant to just make us uncomfortable – and deal, you know, well, that's with the world mission accomplished. Okay, well, you know, it's perhaps it. I mean, it's it's like watching someone's nightmare or someone's dream. I mean, that's the thing about Lynch. Sometimes his movies look like dreams. Sometimes they look like nightmares. They go back and forth. Mulholland Drive, I think, is a lot of that. And as I said, there's 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 beautiful, there's striking imagery in this film, but there's also imagery that's just blood curdling. So, what would I change? Okay, I think I would have maybe made it a little bit clearer that Fred was getting electrocuted. Mm. And I don't I don't think we have to see him in an electric chair or anything. It could even be just like a stupid sound effect, but I would like to know that he's dying if that's the case. I mean, we spoke at length in a previous episode about Mulholland Drive and uh, that, it's funny that I'm, I'm very. Which I would watch again. I would never watch that's this so again. That's so funny because um, I'm defensive of, of Lost Highway. When, as I said before, with Mulholland Drive, I really despise that movie. I hated it so much the first time I saw it, and now that I revisit it time and time again, I'm okay with the third act being such a, a contradiction to what came before it. Um, but it still doesn't explain a lot. 
but never but again like again I, I'm, I'm like that's neither here nor there with lynch i think what's important is that you feel so much with that film you really feel for for naomi watts's character you love her because initially she's innocent and sweet and uh her chemistry with laura herring's character is wonderful and at the end of the film your heart breaks for her and in this case, I feel like I'm just not feeling enough for these characters, even though I yeah. think Bill Pullman is cool in this movie. He looks great in black. He's a great film noir character. And Patricia Arquette kills it in this movie. Um, I think this movie needed, uh, if I could add to it, I'd say I would want the uh, saxophone performance to be about three minutes longer no. and even more punishing. And uh, I want Gary Busey to have more scenes. <laughs> Because I want to know what a I want to know what a Hollywood cool dad looks like. You just want this movie to be worse. Hey son, you want to go to premiere tonight? (laughs) Oh my! Do I want to be worse? No, I want to be longer. I'm like I want more strobe lights. (laughs) I want to actually have a seizure, and then this film will be great. By the way, you know this soundtrack. I'm a huge fan of it. I've listened to it many times. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, Why? Why? How come the the saxophone performance is not on the soundtrack? I'm now feeling like I'm gypped. Um, I want them to re-release this soundtrack would with a longer. <laughs> How many stars do you give this? Um, you can uh, be honest. Yeah, I'm gonna have to give it one and a half. Okay, I kind of thought you would. Three for me. Mm-hmm. Three. It's not my favorite Lynch film, but I think its best scenes are are worthwhile. But I, as I told you before, we even watched it the other night. I feel like the movie peaks after 15 minutes. Oh wow! I do. I do. I feel wow. like the opening of it is terrifying. Yeah. The two people in the apartment, they're being filmed while they're asleep. They don't know what the nature of it is. And the party scene where we meet Robert Blake's character the first time, I think it's masterful. I do. And then you have the Balthazar Getty portion of the movie. It's not Getty's fault, you know. although I don't think he's as compelling as Bill Pullman. But that part of the movie, I mean, you've got Loggia doing his thing. And at this point, he had done it a few times in Innocent Blood and Wild Palms and a few other things where he played a, a, an angry mob boss or an angry leader. Um but yeah, it's – I don't know. Like the, the the second half of the movie, it just doesn't grab me and it doesn't scare me, frighten me like the first part did. I think the film finds its its way in the third act because Pullman's back, frankly. And yeah. I like the mystery of it. I like, I like the fact that it's establishing that we don't really know this femme fatale. We don't know how dangerous she is. Um, I like that she remains a mystery at the end, although let's face it, everything remains a mystery at the mm-hmm. end of the film. So, I mean, if if, if you're okay with uh, things not being resolved, but that it being like uh, watching someone's dream, um, there's, I think, I think there's a richness here, but is it for everybody? No, no. but, but what film is though? You know, I've always hated some films are not for everyone. Well, what the Shawshank Redemption is pretty woman. Come on. Not every film is for everyone, but this one will really challenge you because because frankly, it it's parts of it are so frightening, but parts of it are campy, and parts of it are romantic, and parts of it are weirdly unerotic, but erotic at the same time. And parts of this film are deeply disturbing. It's Lynch playing, you know, in his toolbox very well. But you know, frankly, it's a warm up for Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And by the way, the movie he did right after this, a G-rated Disney film called The Straight Story, which is a distinctly Lynchian film, but it's moving, it's touching, and it shows that this was not the only thing he was capable of. But if you want to do nasty, sweaty, sleazy Lynch, Wild at Heart is a better film than Lost Highway. I think this is one of his le- his lesser films, but I think it's still great. 
Okay. But you're one and a half star. You're like, never again. Never oh, yeah, no. again. I, I, it's cool that you'd watch Mulholland Drive again. I don't do... I don't like... Let's night- watch it right now. Let's no. put it I don't like Nightmare Fuel. I don't like... I don't... This this movie went to a kind of a dark underworld that I do not like to visit. You know, in, in, in fairness, I, I, I agree with that assessment because the Patricia Arquette sex movie that we see... The camera just will not get away from it. It's yeah. it's in the frame a lot to a point like we get it. And the flashback that you're talking about, it comes so late in the film, it's like we know. The scene where she disrobes in front of him, as I said, it's like a, it's actually done with a lot of restraint, I thought. That was enough. We didn't need yeah. the Marilyn Manson scene. We didn't scene. need all this yeah. extra stuff. Yeah. It's really gratuitous and I just think exploitative in a lot of ways, but um, I think this movie yeah. needed a lot more Richard Pryor. Oh, yeah. I, I think it Pryor. needed more of those cops and their jokes. I mean, that would have made it a little bit better. <laughs> this movie does not have a sense of humor. It really doesn't. And yeah. Lynch is funny. He, you know, the, the, the tailgating scene notwithstanding. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. you know, because Twin Peaks is hilarious. Yeah. Not the movie, but the series is really funny. Right. So, okay. I, I could have used a little more of a sense of humor and... Yeah. Tell me how much you love that soundtrack. And like, oh, no, but like you said, there's no audience surrogate, so it's yeah. really hard to find an anchor. Yeah. You just feel like you're like, where are we going? Because you know, in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, in most cases, you got teens who you're rooting for. This is like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie with Freddy Krueger and no teens that you like. You know, <laughs> you got Freddy, and then you just got hoo-ha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, might be a little much for people. It, it yeah. is. It's a lot. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, I don't know if our, a lot of our listeners will even watch this film, but you know, uh, you know, I'm passionate about David Lynch, and I appreciate you giving it a shot. And I promise, if we do Lynch again, we'll either do the Elephant Man or we'll do the Straight Story. We'll do the stuff that's heart, right. heartwarming and beautiful and touching. And oh, yeah. All right. Sounds good. I think we covered it. I think so. All right. Good night, everyone. All right. And that concludes our discussion of the Lost Highway. Mm-hmm.